0: Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, February 11th, 2014. This is going to be a weird program for me. I, I feel like what I've prepared is like high and low and left and right and I can't figure out what the common theme is yet, so it's one of those potpourri episodes. Yeah, Stinking Pot, stand by. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically. Help you to think critically. Help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down. Listen, good theology is like a good wine. (laughs) <laughs> You're thinking, you can't use that metaphor. You can't. Use- yes, yes, I can. <laughs> it's like a good wine. It takes some time to age and mature, and then it gets its better flavors and things like that. And some of you are thinking, you know, Chris, that's just really, really wrong of you to do that because there's a lot of Christians out there who think that that uh, you know it's that uh, Jesus turned uh, water into grape juice, and yeah, and they would be wrong. Um, just, listen, okay, folks. Real simple, okay, this is not a proof text, this is just a historical fact, okay? When you read 1 Corinthians, all right, Paul in 1 Corinthians is correcting a whole bunch of abuses in the church at Corinth, and, I mean, you got a guy sleeping with his uh, father's wife, I mean, you got people who are abusing the spiritual gifts, crazy things going on there, And one of the correctives in 1 Corinthians is regarding abuses pertaining to the Lord's Supper. And what was the primary problem or one of the problems there is is that people were, yes, you can read this for yourself, getting drunk on the communion wine. So you can't convince me that it was grape juice. Number one, grape juice didn't exist until homogenization. You know that that big old word that's on the on the milk cartons. Homogenization. You know it became possible. You know it's so high. Oh, yeah, people get get all upset. You know oh, you can't do. It. Listen, you you just you got to knock it off. I mean this this is one of those things that. Is, I hate to say it, it's a product of the American culture, not a product of good sound biblical theology. Okay. So the, the biblical prohibition, by the way, when it comes to alcohol, is real simple. It's the same type. It's the same type of prohibition that we see in scripture regarding abuses when it comes to sexual intercourse. Okay. Let me explain here. Okay. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't forbid. Nor does it make it a sin to enjoy a glass of wine, a bottle of beer, um, or you know anything like that. No, the biblical prohibition is against the abuse of that fine gift. And when it crosses the line into drunkenness, plain and simple, okay, in the same way, Okay, the Bible doesn't prohibit, get this, it doesn't prohibit sexual intercourse between a guy and a gal. It just prohibits it if you're not married. <laughs> you get what I'm saying here? So the idea is is that, you know, these are fine gifts to be enjoyed by human beings within the limits that God has set for them and they're not to be abused. That's the idea. And so you yeah, again, you know, the church in Corinth, Paul didn't sit there and s- say to them, "Listen, what are you doing drinking wine at communion and and you know, you yeah. Yeah, that wasn't the corrective. He didn't say get away from the wine. What are you thinking? No, he he then gave gave them an understanding that the Lord's Supper is not like any other supper. In fact, that that's kind of like next week's episode of Christianity 101 One with uh, Ernie Lastman. You know, it, you know this. You're gonna hear the Lutheran. Uh, view of you know, Lutheran understanding of the biblical passages when it comes to the lord 's supper that 's next week though tomorrow it's it 's actually going to be baptism so uh, the idea here is is that you know, the abuse of of a gift is what is the sin when it comes to Alcohol, when it comes to uh, you know sexual intercourse and 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 things like that, okay, e- even food, if you would, all right. Um, y- the idea is is that um, you know food is a wonderful gift. God gives us each day our daily bread, and when you engage in gluttony and you are eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and you know becoming as large as um, you know a small you know monument, or you know or mountain, there's there's a problem. You know that's when it crosses the line into an abuse. That is, is sinful. You get what I'm saying there. So, all right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Like I said at the opening, today's episode will be, well, it's going to be all over the map. And, and like I said, it's going to have highs, it's going to have lows, it's going to go sideways, it's going to go the other way. It's one of those things. Um, and there is no common theme today, um, although you can, you could say that uh, one of the things I'm going to be hammering on in several segments is the difference between Christ-centered, uh, a Christ-centered reading of Scripture versus a man-centered, anthropocentric reading of Scripture? Uh, listen, the Bible's not about you; it isn't. It is about Christ and what He has done for you. And when you take biblical passages and make them about you, uh, there's an underlying fundamental flaw in the theology. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna save that for the later se- uh, later segments in Hour 1, and then uh, the sermon review in Hour 2. So, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Now, if you've been listening to uh, Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, uh, then you've probably heard segments that I call Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies. And today, we will be hearing some of Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies, but with a little bit of a twist. Um, a listener sent me a link to a a YouTube video channel uh, by Jennifer Leclaire, who is one of the writers at Charisma Magazine, and uh, she writes on the prophetic. Apparently, she's written a book on you know prophetic gifts and things like that. And this is somebody who I have let's just say huge theological disagreements with. And um, I've always wondered what somebody within like the mainstream of the charismatic movement would say about something like Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies. And, um, and she actually, this week, has published a video, uh, actually last week, it was February 2nd, um, a video on her YouTube channel called when, when People Reject Your Prophetic Gift. And she's offering advice on, you know, to, you know to people who may be frustrated, who claim to be hearing from God, God himself. And in her explanation, I won't play the whole video, in her explanation... Uh, In advice on what to do with these things uh, uh, regarding prophecies that just don't quote make sense in the natural, she gave one of the most ridiculous, um, you know, out of context applications of a biblical text that I have ever, ever, ever heard, and and she's applying it to nonsensical prophecies. So we're going to be listening to uh, with. With uh, Pierce's ponderous prophecies, we're going to be hearing Gen- uh, Jennifer Leclaire, and I'm going to actually let her lead off, and then we'll throw in some Pierce's ponderous prophecies and kind of ask the question: like, serious? This is God, the Holy Spirit speaking. Really, it's not even lucid. And so, we have that that we're doing. Um, uh, then, you know, like kind of the balance. I I still have a Carrie shook update that I need to. Um, to play from that I didn't get to yesterday. So I've got a Kerry Shook update and then um in uh, somewhere in here we'll throw in the our first break. So we got a Kerry Shook update and then we also have a um a David Crank update and I'm going to do a little comparative work. So uh we'll go from uh, Jennifer Leclerc and um, uh, Chuck Pierce to Carrie Shook and then to David Crank. We have a David Crank update and kind of like the classic man-centered misreading of Jesus walking on the water. Actually, Peter walking on the water. Um, that's, that's the funny thing. Is that when you're preaching a Christ-centered sermon, it goes—you know—a Christ-centered sermon focuses on uh, focuses on Christ, whereas a man-centered sermon always focuses on Peter and tries to look at some kind of you know, divine some principles hidden in the text that you can apply, so that you can water walk. Um, we've heard this over and over again. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to foil that against um, part of a sermon. Uh, preached a couple weeks ago by uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Kind of like, you know, it, you know, just the, the contrast is actually brilliant, and uh, hopefully it'll make the point. And then in hour number two, we're going to be going to 12 Stone Church. I think they are in Georgia, and listen to a sermon by their senior pastor, Kevin Myers, called The Home Run Life. And this is a, a the classic seeker driven man centered temporal focused um reading of the story of joseph and it 's not even it 's not even a reading of the story of Joseph kind of like a flight over the battlefield and he 's going to find biblical principles that you can apply there so that your your life can achieve its purpose like joseph achieved his but here 's the idea is that during the sermon review i 'm going to be basically Counterpointing and saying, "Listen, the story of Joseph is not trying to give us principles that we can apply so that we can have a life of significance. Joseph is one of the primary characters in the book of Genesis. In fact, I would even argue in the book of Genesis he is the one who most is you know t- typologically a foreshadowing Jesus Christ." And uh, I'll be pointing that out along the way. I don't know if I'm going to actually be reading entire passage, you know, segments of the uh, the story of Joseph. I might, depending on time. But um, I'll kind of, you know, I want to have you relook at the story of Joseph in light of the fact that it's foreshadowing in in uh, tupas and uh, kai skia. That means types and shadows of uh, of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I recommend that you. Uh, Make yourself comfortable, and since it's not a normal Pierce's ponderous prophecies update, it's more like kind of a Patricia King gang update, kind of like in the general uh, out there charisma, you know, charismatic Pentecostal movement type of thing. We'll, we're going to do this uh, update music instead. Here we go. So, uh, are you a uh, up-and-coming prophet? Or slash prophetess, and uh, are you finding that uh, people are outright rejecting the words that and ideas that you know must have their origin? From God, the Holy Spirit, well, never fear. Uh, Jennifer LeClaire, who also writes for Charisma Magazine, also has her own YouTube channel. And she has published a, a, a video blog entitled, When People Reject Your Prophetic Gifts. What to do when people reject your prophetic gifts. Here's Jennifer LeClaire to explain what to do when you find yourself in that thorny situation. Here we go.
1: Hi, it's Jennifer LeClaire. You probably know me from books like The Making of a Prophet which I just recently released at the time I'm making this recording. You probably read my articles on Charisma Magazine every week. I wanted to talk to you today more about the prophetic ministry and prophetic words, specifically what to do when people reject your prophetic gift. I mean, what do you do when people reject your prophetic gift? And This article or this video article. You you mean like the way
0: I reject uh, Cindy Jacobs' prophetic gift, the way I reject Patricia King's prophetic gift, the way I reject Chuck Pierce's prophetic gift, the way I reject – the list just goes on and on and on. I mean why on earth should I believe that uh, people like that who can't even handle God's word properly if I gave them money and, and told them to do it? Um, you know, they couldn't, they still couldn't do it. Why should I believe that God, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and through them?
1: That I wrote on Charisma magazine and on my website and this video sort of scratches the, the surface. I'm giving you one perspective and I'll give you additional perspectives in the coming weeks about what to do when someone rejects your prophetic gift. But, but let's look at one angle here this week. All right, let's jump in. So there's two sides of prophecy, right? There's the one who delivers the word and the one who receives it. Now, last week we talked about receiving personal prophecies that just don't make any sense at all to the mind or even necessarily bear witness with your spirit. Maybe you're in a place where you just can't hear from God even when God really is talking to you through a prophet or directly to you, to your own spirit. But indeed, some prophetic promises are so exceeding exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think that it's tempting to dismiss them to to read
0: <laughs> did you catch that okay now <laughs> but some prophecies are just exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think you know so they don't make sense in the um in the temp oh, you know it with your brain okay so that's the idea okay well this is a <clears throat> this is a twisting of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 is the passage she was alluding to. Now, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 in context and uh, and you know form a little bit of foundation here to see if this verse is actually teaching us that when a prophet speaks to us and what they're saying doesn't make any sense in the natural that we're to somehow then look at Ephesians 3:20 as Well, a reason for not immediately casting judgment on the nonsensical prophecy. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 is where we'll begin in order to apply some context, and we'll see what this says. Okay, so, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power To, to me... Though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone uh, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the general purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence, confidence through our faith in him so i ask you not to lose heart over what i am suffering for you which is your glory now for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named and according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power Through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly, Then all that we ask or think, according to the power at work that is within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, kind of summarizing what's going on here, Paul is, is, is praying. For the the church in Ephesus, verse fourteen says, "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened." So, notice here in the middle of of Paul's letter to the churches in Ephesus, that he's stopping to bend the knee and pray to the Father on their behalf. And when we get to verse twenty. This is the benediction. This is the conclusion of his prayer. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, think according to the power at work that is within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There we go. So Ephesians 3.20 clearly isn't saying, now when somebody comes to you and they've, they've prophesied something nonsensical to you, I uh, yeah, understand that the, this is then the category of prophecy that falls into that category of prophecy known as the category of the abundantly and exceedingly more than we can ever think or ask or imagine uh, type of prophecy. Therefore, don't reject it out of hand. Instead, you, you need to you know you need to hang on to it. That's not what this is saying. So she's misapplied Ephesians 3.20 here. So let me back up the audio for the video a little bit, Sue, and I'll keep going so that you can hear the context of what she's saying. And then what we'll do is we'll throw in some Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies to see... (laughs) if um, there's any reason we should believe that God the Holy Spirit is the source of any of these prophecies. So here again, let me back the audio up. Here's Jennifer LeClaire talking about what to do when people reject your prophetic gift. Here we go.
1: Place where You just can't hear from God even when God really is talking to you through a prophet or directly to you, to your own spirit. But indeed, some prophetic promises are so exceeding exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think that it's tempting to dismiss them, to to reject them without even praying about it. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people that have, have done that. I've, I've tried not to do that personally, but I know a lot of people that have. It, it's tempting. If it just doesn't make sense to your natural mind and your spirit's not leaping and, you know, it just...
0: So it doesn't make sense to my natural mind and my spirit is not leaping. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, <clears throat> take a listen here to one of Pierce's ponderous prophecies. The name of this prophecy is A Sound That You Will See. That's right, A Sound That You Will See. And it was uh, apparently given by God the Holy Spirit to Chuck Pierce of Glory of Zion um, on January 26, 2014. See if there's any reason why you think you should pray about this to see if it's actually a word from God the Holy Spirit.
2: This is not judgment. to the test you in I will release a sound
0: All right, so let, let me read this uh, prophecy for you. Thankfully, they transcribed it for us. And I say to you, if you will come up where I call you in the midst of the test you're in, I will release a sound that you can see. For this is a day that sounds will open your eyes, and what you couldn't see in the midst of your testing I will cause you to see. And from that point, I will release where and what you need to do. Uh-huh. And there's, why should I believe that this has its origin in God, the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's completely non-lucid thinking whatsoever. And te- clearly, my spirit is not um, jumping for joy within me. Um, and I don't think this is, uh, to, to put this in the category, well, this is that kind of prophecy that is just exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever think or or imagine, that somehow I need to stop and go, oh, Okay. I should pray about this. Um, there's no there's no evidence whatsoever in how Chuck Pierce handles God's word that I should believe that God the Holy Spirit is actually speaking to him and through him. Here, here's another of uh, Pierce's ponderous prophecies. This one is entitled Disconnect Emotions and Look to the Other Side, and it was given on January 4th of uh, 2014 at Glory of Zion. See what you think.
2: I'll start, and then somebody else can complete it. The Lord says, you've been looking for a needle in a haystack. And I say to you, I am causing you to get past the straw and build on a new foundation. I say, quit spending your time looking for that which you can't find. I say because you keep looking for what you can't find, you're missing the supply to build
0: with what you need to build. Uh-huh yeah uh, see I hear something like this and I think you know this is a very good argument for uh, mandatory random drug screenings for everybody who claims to be a prophet.
2: I say to you, this is a season to build on a different, foundation, a firm foundation, and from that place, I will put iron in your legs to stand, saith the Lord.
0: Yeah, so the prophecy began with somebody looking for a needle in a haystack and ends with God putting iron in their legs so they can stand. Yeah, um, there's no reason for me to pray about this um, at all. Um, number one, he's a Bible twister. Number two, this is completely non lucid thinking. And th- why would I believe that God is ba- God the Holy Spirit is kind of basically a moron up in heaven going, I can't even think or speak well? You know, I mean, seriously. Um, and yet, so I mean, you know, here we've got poor Jennifer LeClaire, you know, talking about what do you do when people reject your prophetic gift? Um, yeah. Uh, the the idea is this is that scripture makes it clear that prophets are to be tested And um, if they don't give 100% accuracy on all of their prophecies, they're a false prophet. They're to be rejected. And if they're teaching apostasy and twisting God's word and teaching false doctrine, they're to be rejected. These are the tests given to us in the Old Testament, and they still apply to the prophets today. Um, So, yeah, I'm sorry, but the one claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God that they're passing along in the prophetic, they have an extremely high burden of, of proof. And this is not something that we're to be just. Oh, let's just take Ephesians three twenty and out of context and see. Well, there's this category of prophecy called the exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever think or imagine category of prophecy that somehow, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, you get what I'm saying. I mean the whole the whole thing is ridiculous and absurd on its face, and of course, she's actually written an entire article and given an entire fifteen minute long video blog um you know you know length of, uh, set of advice on what to do when people are rejecting your prophetic gifts. I think we need to get back. To the you know sola scriptura, if you want to know, if you really want to hear what God has spoken prophetically, read the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and you you want to you want to hear a word from God for today? Read the Bible. It's it's really that simple. I can trust that. All, all that other stuff that's uh, being kicked around in the uh, in the charismatic movement, I, I mean, I, I would hazard a guess that 99999999999 percent of it is is not uh, from God, the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that point zero 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 one percent for the possibility that uh, you know some of it is from the Holy Spirit, but it just doesn't pass muster because it's not enough to say that oh, the individual prophecy doesn't actually line up with Scripture, a prophet must be 100% accurate and not teach apostasy. Uh, That's Number one, the credentials of the uh, of the prophet have to be established as impeccable because they're claiming to be getting direct revelation from God, and uh, if that if they can't even pass that test, then it doesn't matter if anything they say doesn't contradict Scripture. They're not a prophet. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's Facebook dot com forward slash pirate christian or follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back we have a uh, carrie shook update and then a david crank update don't want to miss it we'll be right back
3: if you think god is a black woman named papa then you need to get out of the shack and read your bible you're listening to fighting for the faith
4: you're listening to pirate Christian radio
2: we'll be taking your first doctrine now <laughs> it's Marty python's flying circus church
5: have reached the voice mailbox for Melissa Fisher. Please leave a message after the tone. When finished, you may press one for more options.
6: Hi Melissa, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, I was wondering if you could help me out. I'm I'm trying to uh, you know, get a hold of a guy named Vincent. that I can't remember his last name. This guy wants me to make myself real in his life, but I can't find his address or his phone number or email. The world is so complicated. You know how hard it is to find somebody if you can't remember their last name? Do you know how many Vincents there are in the world? He's, he said that he would leave his sin behind if I could just, you know, somehow reach out to him and prove that I'm real. So if you can make one of your really fancy videos and Tell him that I'm calling him by name, but don't tell him that I can't remember his last name. I, I really would appreciate it. Oh, and uh, one more thing. You might want to mention something about his adventurous heart. That way he'll know that the message is for him. Thanks, Melissa. I, you know, I don't know what I'd do without you.
5: Hey everyone, this word is for Vincent. Vincent, the Lord calls you by your name and he is making himself known to you today. Now that he has made himself known to you, remember what you said. You said, Lord, if you would call me, if you would make yourself real, that I would come and I would leave, absolutely leave. ...all of it behind and come to you because you've been wavering between two opinions. Now here it is. Vincent, the Lord is calling you. Come to him. The life is better on this side. Believe me, give up the unfruitful works of darkness and walk completely in the light. And I tell you, Vincent, you won't be sorry. The Lord is ready to show you a mighty, mighty adventure. That adventurous heart that you have, the Lord is going to really, really reach in... he's going to satisfy that heart in you and it's going to be even more than you ever could have planned on your best day so vincent come to the lord wait no longer vacillate between two opinions no longer
0: don't pay more for travel than you need to Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could let all of the air out of your prophetic balloon. And then it'll come falling to the ground. As it should happen, by the way. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute. $8.95, that's it, $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, and it is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box five zero eight. Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, I'm going to play our general Los Lobos update music for this segment. Here we go. If you're familiar with the um, the ministry, the television ministry and you know, church ministry of Kerry Shook of the Woodlands Church out in the Woodlands, uh, Texas, uh, then you're familiar with the fact that he's written a book about 30 days to a no regrets life or something like that if you had 30 days to live. Um yeah, um then you know you would uh you know these are principles that supposedly you can apply to your life and I'm going to point out the major completely false premise flaw behind this thing and it'll make sense in light of what he says. So here's Kerry Shook to introduce his message that recently aired on TV and entitled Today is Your Someday. Today is your someday, 30 days to a no regrets life. Here's Kerry Shook.
7: What would you do if you knew you had 1 month to live? I would plan my funeral. We're going to be asking that question today, not because you're going to die in the next 30 days, but Lord willing, you're going to live many more years.
0: Well, some of us might be dying in the next 30 days. I mean, you know, it happens.
7: But I believe if you live the next 30 days as if it's your last, at the end of the month, you'll be more alive than you've ever been. Because God wants you to make sure that you live with no regrets.
0: See, now, see, there's the big problem. Okay. Um, how many of you can honestly say that you have lived your life with no regrets? See, Christianity is not um, a religion for people to f- apply tips and strategies so that they can live their lives with no regrets. Christianity is the good news of the forgiveness of sins for everybody who has huge regrets. In their life, see the difference, okay? Um, the the reason why the good news is so good for me is because I have done things that I seriously regret, and the reason I regret them is because after looking at what God's law says about what I have thought, by what I have done, by the things I haven't done, I have huge regrets. I have hurt people terribly. I have sinned grievously against others and against God himself. And I stand guilty and condemned before God without even the ability to even begin to make reparations for the wake of destruction that I have left in my life. How about you? If you're really honest with yourself, you're going to say, yeah, that, that's me too. Uh-huh. So Christianity doesn't have good news for people that they can apply to their lives so they can live it regret-free. Christianity has good news for people who have done things that they regret. Big difference. We continue. I've been with a lot of people at the end of their life,
7: and many of them have regrets.
0: Yeah, in fact, most people at the end of their life looking back would have regrets, and this is not the kind of news that's going to help them. You know, you, you, Listen, the last thing you want to tell somebody on their deathbed and, and when they're sitting there thinking over their life and they know they only have days or hours to live, the last thing you want to tell them is, well, you know, here you are at the end of your life, and you got all kinds of regrets – If only you had not done that, you know, oh, you poor thing. Um, There's no hope there, okay? What you want to be able to tell them is, listen, stop focusing on your sin in this sense. Yes, you have regrets, and you should have regrets. The reason you should have regrets is because what you did was wicked. What you did was sinful. What you did was wrong, and you can you're going to tell this to somebody on their deathbed? Yes, absolutely. Because right after that, when they say, and they say, yeah, you're right. That's right. And then I can say this, Christ bled and died for those regrets. Every single one of them. There's nothing you have to do. When you come to the end of your life, you must realize you're going to have regrets and big ones. And Christ bled and died and suffered the consequences of all of those sins that you've committed that you regret. Repent. Believe and trust that all of your sins have been atoned for, have already been punished. They were laid on Christ, and he did it for you. You can go into eternity knowing that you have peace with God, not because of something you've done to live your life in a way you, where you have no regrets, Instead, you can go into eternity having peace with God because Christ has secured that all for you. Let's continue.
7: And it's always about relationships. It's about the relationship with the Lord and the relationships with the people closest to them. But God wants you to learn how to live passionately and love completely. So when you leave this earth, you'll leave with no regrets. Just
0: <laughs> No, actually, no, that's 100% wrong. Christ wants you to know that because you have regrets that that's what you need to understand that that tells you that you're sinful but he's paid the penalty for everything that you regret on the cross big difference see doesn't i mean we didn't have to get very far with Carrie shook and you can see already where where the emphasis is is completely on the wrong syllable and this whole idea of living you know the 30 days you know to having a no regrets life which is it's nonsense nonsense. It's already too late for 99.9% of us. We already have regrets. What we need is good news, that there's forgiveness for all of the things that we've done that we regret, and that's the gospel. All right, moving along. Yep, time for a David Crank update.
2: I've just closed
7: my eyes again Climbed
6: aboard the dream we Try to take
2: away my worries of today
7: and leave tomorrow.
0: Very right. Dreamweaver. Uh, That's our David Crank update music. Okay, so what we're going to be listening to, and I'm going to counterbalance what you're going to be listening to from uh, David Crank with a portion from a sermon by uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Focus on what they're focusing on. Is it on Christ? Or is it on you? Remember, the scriptures are not about you, especially the Gospels. You know, doubly so when it comes to the Gospels. They're not about you. The Gospels are telling us about Jesus and what he has done for us. But uh, this little factoid seems to, um, well, be lost on certain people like David Crank and like a whole host of others. So this is uh, from his sermon entitled, Who Told You to Get Out of the Boat? Here's David Crank. Here we go. ...to
6: get
3: out of the boat. We're going to talk about water walking. We're going to talk about speaking to the mountain. And whether today it's dead or failure or divorce or the doctor has given you a death sentence, your faith can make you whole, and God wants to get you out of the boat. But it can be scary, especially if you don't know much about boating. Actually, my uncle, he, uh, he had this boat, and he had this regal boat and I was about 14 and he never took it out. It was beautiful, but he was afraid to take it out because he didn't know anything about boating. And so my dad wasn't afraid to take it out because it wasn't his boat. How many of y'all know you can trash something that's not yours? So we were down at Lake Wapapella. Anybody familiar with that down in the country? And, and we didn't know anything. My dad said, let's take it out. Come on, Steve. Come on, Steve. Let's take it out. So he says, okay. And so he goes to put it in the water, and there's no depth finder on the boat. And he says, I wonder how deep it is because he's worried about the prop and problems. And my dad said, oh, it's at least 100 foot deep. <laughs> if you know Lake Wapapella, it is clearly not. Well, it's not clear at all. It's very muddy. And you would suspect that it was 100 foot deep, but it is clearly not. So we start going and my uncle was afraid. My dad said, oh, Steve, just gun it. Let's just go. And so he starts gunning it. And I look behind us and there's just mud just churning up everywhere. The next thing you know, we hit like this, what would be an island, but not like a pretty island with palm trees. This would just be a mud island. Just stops the whole boat. And the point is, a lot of times underneath the surface, you don't really know what's under there unless God reveals it to you. But when God leads you and guides you in the way that you should go, he's really wanting us to go to the next level and step out in faith to do some crazy things. Now, number one, I'm a crazy believer. I still believe that with God, all things are possible. I believe the reverse can be a problem. Yeah, um, listen, um, where in the Bible does
0: it clearly teach us that God wants us to step out and do crazy things? Because even in the Gospel of Matthew, um, with Peter stepping out of the boat, uh, there's not a passage that says, therefore, the significance of this passage is you must be like Peter and, and desire to do
3: crazy things like water walking. Promotion. I believe that what doesn't kill you can make you stronger. I believe that when Satan is pushing his strongest to defeat what God has started in you, that oftentimes it is that moment that God will say, get out of the boat. Get out of your comfort zone. So for our text today, we want to go to Matthew 14, verse 25. It says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, said it's a ghost, and they cried out with fear. How many like me? And that does freak you out if you saw somebody walking on the water. You scare me if it doesn't. Let's raise your hand again if you think. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. Everybody shout it with me. Come on, say it loud. Even at the other campuses, what? Take courage. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. He said, Lord, if it's you. Well, he just clearly said it's him. But sometimes you need reassurance again. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out with fear, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him and said, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. And those that were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, that's kind of an important
0: little tidbit there. At the end of the whole water-walking sequence in the Gospel of Matthew, what do the disciples do? They worship Jesus. Who's this text about? It is about Jesus. He just read it for us. I mean, I didn't have to go in and say, oh, you left that out. He read it. But despite the fact that he read it, it doesn't register in his mind. Oh, wait, this passage is telling me something about Jesus. And the whole goal really here is for us to believe that Jesus is the son of God, right? That's what this passage is about.
3: Let's continue. Watch where he goes from here. Sometimes the greatest fight to faith, I say, is the fight you fight to keep from fighting in your mind. And can you imagine stepping out on that water? You're like, okay, I just had that panic. Can you imagine stepping out? And so wait, wait. the passage is about Jesus.
0: And at the end of it, they're worshiping Jesus. And you're making it about me and then imagining what it'd be like to walk on water and stuff like that. It's not about me walking on water because I'm not asked to do that. It's not even about Peter because Peter doubted and he started sinking. Then Jesus gets in the boat and calms the storm with a word and they end up on their faces worshiping Jesus. That's what the point of this text is. And now you've immediately forgotten what you've just read and you're off on some weird tangent
3: that has nothing to do with what this text is saying. Panic attack where your heart's beating. Anybody ever scared you like walking up the stairs? First of all, how many of y'all ever been in the basement and you ran up the stairs because there was an invisible monster <laughs> chasing you? Come on, be honest with me. And then you close the door and you're like, the invisible monster can't get through the door. <laughs> but you got that, that erratic heartbeat. You're really afraid. Look, Peter has that going on. It's the middle of the night. They're terrified. The Bible doesn't exaggerate. And he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And then the Lord said, yeah, come on. And then he began to walk on the water. And the big question today is, who told you to get out of the boat? Nobody. <laughs> That's the answer to the question. Nobody's
0: told me to get out of any boats. Hasn't told you. I mean, and in fact, if somebody's telling you to get out of the boat and there's not, like, something for you to get into, chances are the mafia has kidnapped you. And the getting out of the boat part is a death sentence. Nobody
3: is telling you to get out of no boat who told you see where God guides. He provides and many times the desires that God has in your heart right now, where he's wanting to take you to the next level with your business.
0: Matthew chapter 14 has nothing to do with whether or not God wants to take my business to the next level.
3: How are you getting this from this text with your mind, with your marriage? He'll begin to prompt your spirit and agitate your spirit to get out of the boat. But there's these shadows in your head. There seems to be a, an inner dialogue going on all the time that says, yeah, don't worry. Stephen Furtick has a new book out called, uh, uh, what is it,
0: Crash the Chatterbox. We'll be covering that, by the way. I'm reading the book first. Whoo, man. <clears throat> all I can say is it's, it's extremely autobiographical on the part of Furtick, and it says a lot about the author It doesn't really tell us
3: anything about what God's word says. We continue. You can't make it. The funding won't be there. Now's not the time. You can't walk on the water when it's windy. When clearly if God says to go where God guides, he provides, and you're not stepping out on nothing... People say, well, Peter stepped out on nothing. No, clearly he stepped out on something, and it is his word. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that
0: does not apply here. God, we're not supposed to find in here, oh, well, look, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so because Peter walked on the water and Jesus told him to come, that that means that God wants us to water walk like Peter did. And, and of course, we're talking in a metaphorical, allegorical sense here, not in a literal way Ay, ay ay This is complete nonsense. And notice what the where the emphasis is. The emphasis is on you, not on Jesus. There is no implicit or explicit command in Matthew chapter 14 for us to be water walking, nor is there an implicit or explicit in, uh, you know, expectation created by Matthew chapter 14 for us to Uh, believe that God is going to ask us to step out of boats. Nothing of the sort. So let's contrast here. Let's contrast. I'm going to play for you a few minutes of a sermon recently delivered by Pastor uh, Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, who is also the host, co-host of Table Talk Radio here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio. And, And I need to make this clear. He's not preaching on this exact same text. He's actually preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, same gospel, chapter eight, with the story of the of Jesus sleeping in the boat while a storm is up. Now I understand where it's different text, but the where he puts the emphasis is exactly the same place you should put the emphasis if you're going to be preaching the story of Peter walking on the water. The emphasis is on Jesus. Now, how do I know this? Well, Matthew 14 clearly at the end the punchline is they worshipped Jesus. This is a similar story. You know, we got these bo- these boat stories, two of them in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's take a look at what. Pastor Wolf Mueller does and where he puts the emphasis and you'll see that the punchlines are very different when you put the emphasis on Jesus rather than you. Here we go.
8: In the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? St. Matthew was there on the boat that night. I wonder as he wrote this text, the account a few years later, How he remembered this occasion of Jesus calming the sea. If he could taste again the water as it smashed over his face and into the boat. If he could remember how the roar of the waves was as he tried to listen to the commands from Peter and James and the other ex-fishermen who were on the boat with them, trying to figure out what to do. And the shaking not just because the boat was rattling as it was being torn apart by the waves, but because Matthew himself with the other disciples was terrified that he was going to die. Matthew was afraid. The disciples were afraid. And Jesus was asleep. (laughs) Now, what happens next is for the disciples, but Matthew writes it down for us because the Holy Spirit wants us to have the same benefit as the disciples themselves who were there.
0: Okay, now notice Pastor Wolfmuller admits that although what happened was for the disciples, the author wants us to have the same benefit. What's the benefit to us in this story? Well, Pastor Wolfmuller continues.
8: Here we go. The disciples come to Jesus and they wake him up. Save, Lord, we perish. We perish. And Jesus wakes up and stands up and rebukes the disciples for their little faith and rebukes the wind and the sea for causing so much trouble and there is calm. At least in the sea there's calm. The disciples are marveling. What sort of man is this, they say, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus had been rescuing people from demons Delivering them from afflictions. He had been healing them and saving them. But now he rescues his disciples from destruction. And they're beginning to learn who Jesus is. And that's the point of the text. Now, a lot of times the text is preached like this you're, If you're in the boat with Jesus, there will be calm sailing through the storms of life. But this simply isn't true. Everything doesn't always go well for us and for our family and for the congregations in the Lord's church. Sometimes we get sick and we just don't get better. Sometimes things fall apart and the pieces never get put back. Not every story has a happy ending. That's not the point of the text. Other people will preach the text this way. If we're in the boat with Jesus, there will be rough storms. And and this might be a little bit closer to the truth because the devil hates the church. And remember, he hates you. And he attacks the church and he attacks you. But Jesus himself promised this. He brings peace, not a sword in, he brings sword and not a peace. In this world you will have trouble, promises Jesus. But again, this is not the point of the text. After all, Jesus does calm the storm and bring it into it. There are some preachers out there who would tell us that if we have enough faith, then things will go well for us. We'll be happy all the time. We'll get the best parking spots when we go to the mall. Every day will be a Friday, this kind of thing. But look at the text. Jesus rebukes the disciples for their tiny faith. And he still calms the storm. The point of this text The reason why we have it today and the reason why Matthew has it in his gospel is so that we would learn who Jesus is. We see that Jesus is a man. And we see this in the fact that he's sleeping, that he is simply exhausted from a long couple of days of work, from teaching and healing and delivering people. He's so exhausted that even the storm doesn't wake him. And we see that Jesus is God who can stand there and rebuke the sea and the winds and the waves, recognize His voice and recognize His authority, and they obey Him. Jesus, your Jesus, is God and man, and He is doing everything He does for you, which means that with Jesus around, there is nothing to be afraid of. If He wants to, He'll calm the sea. If he wants to, he'll let the sea wreck your boat and let you float for three days on a plank and land on some deserted island like he did with St. Paul and Malta. If he wants to, he'll use the sea to rough up your boat so that the sailors throw you overboard and then he'll have a fish eat you and, and drive you three days. I don't know fish drive. Swim you three days and spit you out on the coast to put you back on the right track. And if he wants to... He'll have the waves sink your boat, and he'll bring you to eternal life. No matter. No matter. There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to be afraid of. Not for you, Christians. Not with Jesus.
0: You see the difference when you put the emphasis on Christ, not on you? There's real comfort that can be offered there. Because when you put the emphasis on you, it all becomes law. But when you put the emphasis on Christ and what he has done and what he does and who he is, well, that becomes true good news, and that's the gospel. Yeah, you put the emphasis on me, and it's about something I'm supposed to apply to my life. It's law. Preach about Christ, what he's done for us, and it becomes comforting good news. Mm, Big difference. And, you know, you, you get the point. That, that's the reason I wanted to make that contrast. Oh, okay, we, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, sermon review, uh, kind of missing the whole point of the story of Joseph in the similar way that, uh, well, David Crank missed the point about the Peter in the boat in the water. Stay tuned. We'll be right
3: back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. Two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time Keep thinking that contrast Man-centered versus Christ-centered As we listen to this uh, Sermon uh, entitled The Home Run Life We have got to do this right So I don't want to get ahead of myself ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith word equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via 12 stone church in lawrenceville georgia lead pastor kevin myers presiding the name of the sermon is home run life and it's the sermon series this is week one of the sermon and we're going to be hearing a man-centered completely missing the point of the text story or account of the story of joseph Apparently, there's principles that we've got to apply there, and it's all going to be relayed to us using the metaphor of baseball.
6: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And um, I'm going to be picking apart one of the major premises of this sermon, and that is is that, listen, you got to get busy finding God's secret purpose for your life, and you can't you know, cut bases. You, there's certain things you got to do in order to get there. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a purpose-driven... Um, presupposition behind this whole thing so let me go ahead and kill the music and without any further ado uh here's the sermon home run life by kevin myers and it begins with one of those uh kind of little vignette things at the beginning of it and i think i need to play it so that because it sets the whole tone for the sermon here we go
6: in life we all step up to the plate hoping to hit a home run in our marriage business our family
0: Hoping to hit a home run in our business, marriage, or family. Huh. Is Christianity about helping us hit home runs in those things?
6: He was following a simple pattern, four words, four life-changing principles. There's only one way to get power at the plate. Connect with God. Once you trust God, you're able to win battles within yourself. Securing your identity, winning relationships with others is next. Rounding third means winning results in whatever you do. Excellence matters. God created this game plan, a pattern different from the world, so that we can have the full life the intended.
0: Now, did you catch that theology? Uh, God is, created this pattern, this, this first base, second base, third base you know, uh, pattern, so that we can have a full life. Is that really what Christian sanctification is? Is that really what it means? What about all those Christians who, after confessing Christ, suffered martyrdom and death and persecution for their faith in Christ?
9: So welcome to Home Run Life, week one. And I am so excited to share in this series with you. So let's dive in. Let's play ball. Grab your bulletins, and on the back you find your teaching notes with four questions that can transform your life. And the first one, what makes for a home run life? What makes for a home run
0: life? In in, in other words, everybody, all of us. So the the sermon's going to answer the question, what makes for a home run life? Are you ready to hit home runs in your life? Is that what Christianity offers people, the ability and the pattern that they can apply so that they can have a home-run life?
9: We all want to kind of live out a home-run life. But what are the elements that make for a great life? I'm glad you've asked. Let's talk about it.
0: Yeah, uh, sure. Go ahead. Talk about it. But already, um, I'm like, I've got red flags flying in my mind saying, warning, warning, Bible twister. The first element kind of obvious to all of us is success.
9: I think we all, when we dream of having a home run life, we imagine that someday we will have success. Say it with me. We'll have what? We, we, we imagine we're going to have success. Oh, oh, when we're young, we, we imagine that, that our job and, 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 and our, our, our career and our business and our finance, sports, whatever endeavor we pursue, that we're going to rise up and kind of be a, a Super Bowl kind of player. That, that we're going to hit a home run and get those kinds of results. In fact, that's why one of my favorite commercials is from Super Bowl thirty three. The Monster.com commercial? Oh, my goodness. Well, here, let me just play it for you, and you'll understand. Check it out.
1: When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to climb my way up
2: to middle management. Be replaced on a whim. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes, sir. Coming, sir. Anything for a raise, sir. When I grow up when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want to be forced
6: into early retirement.
9: Oh, that is so good. That's just
0: backhanded sarcasm, right? I mean, nobody aspires to rise up to small things. <laughs> Not... Yeah. Um, how come the sermon isn't starting with a clear passage of scripture? Where in the Bible does it promise the solution to this problem? Dream someday, I'll hope I strike
9: out. That's <laughs> nobody's goal. We want success. But but listen, once you get it success is too small to be the whole of your life dream you may have never thought about it before but when you dreamed of a of a great life it was always more than success you imagined someone
0: you imagined what someone here's what i mean you are- so when i was little i dreamed about success but i imagined someone uh-huh what makes this a biblical sermon again imagine that there would be others in this great life
9: There would be the someones, whether it's the co-workers, the teammates, or or close friends. Maybe you always dreamed that you would find that soulmate and and, and married for life. You imagine having kids and the beauty of of those connections. Family.
0: You know, I always dreamed that if I had a pastor, he would rightly handle God's word and preach the truth to me and be a man with integrity, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, things like that. See, when you dreamed of the life you longed for,
9: when you had a big dream, it included someone's. Because life without someone is quite hollow. Let let me illustrate with a with a golf joke. Any golfers here in any campuses? Any golfers? Okay, you'll get this. This pastor loved to golf, but he'd grown up with the tradition. You can't golf on Sunday. Well, that would be a sin for him. But he's a pastor now, so 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 he doesn't golf on Sunday. He preaches on Sunday. However, it's driving him nuts because it's sunny every Sunday. And raining every day off for him. He's getting ticked. God's not answering his prayers. Finally, he says, God, I can't take it anymore. And he does the wrong thing. He calls up and says, I'm not showing up Sunday. Calls the assistant pastor, you're going to have to preach. I'm not, I'm, I'm not right. And clearly he wasn't. Jumped in the car and drove two, three counties away so nobody knew him. Got on the golf course. It was sunny, beautiful. He said, I know it's going to be miserable, but I'm playing anyway. God, I don't care what you do to me. And he hits the ball 275 yards down the middle. It's absolutely beautiful. Powered
0: the hole. I mean, he was playing out of his mind all day. Are you going to end up exegeting this joke? You just have to ask.
9: He gets to the last hole. You can't believe this. He kills it and gets a hole in one. Woo! He picks up that ball. He says, God, I can't believe what you're doing for me. Oh, I thought you would make my day miserable. And God said, I did. He said, how? He said, who are you going to tell? <laughs> see, that's miserable. <laughs> see, see, success all alone is empty. It's hollow. Success without someone is diminished joy. We all long and imagine that in this dream life,
0: we would be with those. We We all imagine in this dream life. Where does the Bible promise that God's going to give us our dream life? Hmm. Those who love
9: us, yeah? But that's not all you had in your life. Not just success, not just someone. You may have never thought about it, but you always imagined that you would have self-respect. Say it with me. That you would have what? See, you imagine when you dreamed of your life and your success and your someone's, that you'd be able to look in the mirror and respect the person you see without having to drop your eyes in disgrace. See, you imagine that you would be self-led Rather than owned by your appetites, your desires, or addiction, that you'd be a person of integrity.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins, and that's why we sin. Um, hmm. So, the solution for the lack of self respect thing is that going to be the cross of Jesus Christ?
9: After all, everywhere you go, there you are. <laughs> If you can't get along with you and respect you, it's a pretty miserable life. You may have never thought about it before. But you imagined your life would not only have success in someone in self-respect, but you imagined it would have significance. That is to say that you imagined that your life would make a difference, that it would more than empty success, that it
0: it would count for things that matter. So all of this stuff, by the way, he's writing on a large, it's not a whiteboard, but it has a big white sheet of paper on it. And so he's writing with markers and, you know, in the form of a baseball diamond, success, someone, self-respect and significance. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, this, hang on a second here. You smell that? Yeah. That smells like Rick Warren's cologne. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, that yeah, that's Rick Warren's cologne. This kind of reeks of something Rick Warren-ish. Then more than a, making a dollar, you want to make a
9: difference. Now that right there, that is a, an awesome life dream. Those elements, success, someone's self-respect significance, that's a home run life.
0: And yet so few ever live that life. So few ever get all four. we might get- a- Am I a bad Christian if I don't? Um, is there forgiveness and eternal life offered to the people who don't make it around all of these bases? Two, but we crash on the rest.
9: And that was an honest moment for Luis Ramos, who sat right where you're seated over a decade ago in a service where I started to test out this home run life teaching. Here's a slice of his story.
4: My name is Louis Ramos, and I'm uh, 44 years old. I've been married to my high school sweetheart for almost 25 years. You know, I find myself uh, in one place in, in business, and, and family, and relationships uh, that, you know, thank God today is is you know, really great and and, and very fulfilling. Um, it wasn't always that way, however. I had made my life about having more, getting more, making more, and achieving more. Everything else was falling apart around me. Uh, my marriage was falling apart. I barely knew my children. I told myself that it was for everybody else, so I said, oh, I'm doing this for my family. I'm going to you know, make sure that I set us up for a great life. That's nonsense. It's not true. I really loved the feeling that I got from success, and it was addictive. I just needed a clean break and to start all over told my wife that I had made a mistake and that we were uh, really not meant to be together. On a Sunday in early October, uh, my wife was going to church with the kids and, and I decided to join them uh, really to keep up appearances. It just so happened that it was the first day of a you know multi-week series on The Home Run Life. I sat there and I was intrigued by the production, but what really caught me was... Kevin starting to tell the, the, the home-run life story, the parable.
9: So Lewis was, was only getting pieces of the dream. And that's true for most
0: of us. And maybe, maybe that's because... Now, let me ask the obvious question. Is what Jesus promises Christians, is it the home-run life? or eternal life. Yeah, it's the second. The Gospel of John has these wonderful words. They says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. We're talking about eternal life. Now, will things get better or worse for you if you are a Christian? The answer is yes. (laughs) They could get better for you in your life. It could get really worse. You could find yourself confessing Christ in the middle of a very hostile family or hostile culture. Uh, and the cost of being a, a Christian, it could cost you friends. It could cost you family members. It could cost you your marriage. And then there's others where confessing Christ and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance in your life will bear the kind of fruit where <clears throat> you things will get seriously better for you. And along the way, you'll have some major bumps and bruises. But what this one-size-fits-all approach that God wants you, you know, see, God has this huge home-run life for you, just waiting for you. If you just apply the right principles, that's not what the Bible teaches. We continue. Nobody ever really taught us how God
9: grows us up. And that brings us to the second Question, four questions that can transform your life. What can we learn from Joseph's journey?
0: Now, like I pointed out at the beginning of the program, and and I'll point out along the way here, Joseph in the book of Genesis is one of the clearest types and shadows that points us to Jesus. I mean, it's uncanny, and there's a lot there that you can unpack and And the idea here is this: is that if you look at the life of Jesus and some of the elements of christ's life, you see them reflected in joseph's story in a way that you can't miss. Um, he's persecuted by his brothers, sold into slavery, and his selling being sold into slavery is in a sense, his death. And he's raised again from the dead and sits at the right hand of the king, Pharaoh. And it's because of his dying and rising again and ascending to to sit at the right hand of the king, notice the, the phrases I'm putting in here, that he is able to save his whole family. And um, and they don't know who he is, okay? But he, when he finally reveals himself, I mean, th- this the stuff that goes on here is absolutely amazing. He's innocent and convicted as if he's guilty. I mean, th- all, all of the, the themes are there in the, in the story of Joseph. This is a sh- foreshadowing of Christ, exactly what we should expect because Jesus himself said um, that you diligently search the scriptures. He said this to the uh, Pharisees. Uh, And yet you refuse to me to come that that you might have life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And then you have the whole road to Emmaus where Jesus begins in Moses and the prophets showing to them all of the passages that are about him. The Bible is about Christ and what he has done for us. It's not about... You know, find, trying to read between the lines and figure out what principles you can apply to your life so that you can have a home run life. That is not, that is not at all what these the Old Testament stories are about. And the, the fact that people would somehow strip mine it to try to find the you know, what is it that made, made this all work? The answer is simple. Read Hebrews 11 and you got the answer. What all of the patriarchs in the Old Testament ha- that we have in common with them is faith. You see, but he, what um, Myers is going to do here is try to strip mine it and try to find something about obedience. If you're obedience, then God's going to reward you with Uh, You know this purpose-driven life where you'll have success and someone and self-respect and significance and all this kind of stuff. But you've got to be obedient. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta. And yet uh, Hebrews eleven makes it clear that all of the patriarchs of old did what they did by faith, and their obedience to God has its as its wellspring. You know, its source. Their faith in Christ. But that's not what we're going to hear from Mr. Myers. We continue. In Genesis chapter 37 through chapter
9: 50, we find the Old Testament story of Joseph. Oh, it's a great story. And for our limited time, let me just highlight from Joseph's life his breakthroughs. Now, Joseph was 17 years old. And Joseph had a dream. It was really a dream for his future, a vision from God. And Joseph was uniquely positioned. He was a son of Jacob, grandson of Isaac, great-grandson of Abraham. So he was in the line of God's promises. His father, Jacob, was very influential.
0: Uh, he's, a direct, he's in the line of Jesus Christ, although he's not a direct descendant of Jesus. His father is. All right, That's important because... Um, it's Joseph's brother, Judah, through whom the Messiah comes. But in the Old Testament, we're following the bloodline of the Messiah. That's what that's all about. We continue. Really ...affluent, and Joseph was a favored son. He
9: had what was, the Bible calls a coat of many colors, which means he's important. <laughs> Elevated even above his brothers. He had many older brothers. In fact, all of them together combined eventually became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Their father, Jacob, his name was eventually changed to Israel. That's where Israel got their name. Very important family. So when Joseph had his dream, he already had brothers who were very jealous of his self-importance. He was already dad's favorite. And now he comes to his brothers a bit bragging. It says, apparently, look, I'm not only dad's favorite on earth, I'm obviously God's favorite.
0: Yeah, actually, Joseph didn't say that. Notice he's not reading the story. Now, here's the important part. How many of the 12 sons of Israel had dreams and direct visions from God regarding their future? One. Nowhere in the text does it explicitly or implicitly teach that we, as Christians, normatively are going to receive visions from God for our lives like Joseph if that was really the case then all 12 of Joseph's brothers also would have had dreams regarding their futures and every one of their sons would have had the same you would have seen this common theme through scripture where it sets up this expectation god's going to give you a big dream vision for your life and uh, and you know and you know and some dream purpose but that's not what the bible teaches i had a dream from god i'm standing.
9: And all of you are bowing. <laughs> I know. What well, can I say? <laughs> I'm special. <laughs> now, by the way, when you have a dream where you're standing, everybody else is bowing. It is an awesome dream for you, right? But nobody else cares. Okay. They're not excited to be bowing to your dream. So instead of his brother celebrating, they turn on him. Now, listen, Joseph had every reason to believe since this was from God, since he had a dream for a dream life, that this would be fulfilled, that he'd immediately go to success. After all, many of us
0: quote Jesus in John 10, 10 when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, and we say, it's- Yeah, John ten ten, 10, out of context here. You need to read from starting at John chapter 9, verse 1, and then keep reading through, you know, at least halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through 10 to get the full context. When you read it in context, you'll see what's going on, and that is not some promise that God's going to give you a purpose-driven, abundant life. And by ripping it out of context, he's making it so that He, the text isn't pointing to the real referent that it points to when you see it in context. He's changed the referent, this home-run life. We continue.
9: As I come into relationship with God through Jesus, my life is going to be easy and awesome! i'm going to have success like the next thing is success what was the next thing for for joseph he got thrown into a pit into a what a pit he's expecting success he gets thrown into his pit the brothers are so ticked with him that they take off his coat of many colors, tear it up like an animal tore it up. They kill a ram, throw la- uh, ram, throw the blood on it, take it to their dad and say, hey, this looks like Joseph's. I think he got killed by an animal. Now that was pre-DNA days, right? That would have been obvious today, but not back then. So dad concludes that Joseph is dead. And you know what they do with him? They sell him into slavery and he's taken to Egypt, never to be seen again. For they concluded what will now come of his dream. And if you're Joseph and you're on the way to Egypt and you've been thrown in a pit, and you're now enslaved, you got to be asking yourself, what on earth is God doing? Have you ever wondered, what on earth is God doing? I mean, we were following God, and he lets you get thrown in pits. And you're like, whoa, hello. I got promises from you. This does not feel like your promises. I was 30 years old. And it was... um, it was, without a doubt, one of the most uh, undoing.
0: Yeah, now, notice we've switched to his life, you know, because his life parallels Joseph's, and so should yours. ...in my life. When I had to go to my wife and ask her to go back to work,
9: we'd made promises earlier in marriage, and... We'd been married for nine years. In the first few years, I had some measure of success. But in planting 12 stone from 26 to 30, um, oh, we just lost. And so we lost our house money and our cars and our little IRA and our savings and everything we had. And I lost our health insurance. I lost everything. I'm doing odd jobs. We're just we're going bankrupt. And that day, I had to look her in the eye and say, honey, I know we're home with the young kids, but you've got to go back to work. We're bankrupt. And I remember thinking, God, oh, we're trying to honor you in life, and you throw us in a pit. What are you doing?
0: You I notice did- how he's allegorizing it. Notice that the emphasis isn't on Christ. He's not preaching Christ from the story of Joseph, which is extremely easy to do, and it's not hard to see Jesus in this story. You just, I mean, just read it with, with Jesus in, your, in the front of your mind, and you'll see Jesus all over the story of Joseph. Answer them, but I can toss one out now. What if God was
9: trying to help me win dependence? In fact, what if that's what God is doing with you? And you got to know how God grows you up. What if, what if,
0: what if, what if, what kind of exegetical point is what if? What God was doing with
9: Joseph, helping Joseph win dependence. Say it with me. Win what? Win dependence. In other words, he stripped Joseph of everything Joseph would have used in order to make that dream happen. Because God was helping Joseph move from being self-reliant to God-reliant. See, most of us know how you grow up humanly. We just don't know how you grow up spiritually. Now, that's some great
0: speculation. Do you have any passages that actually can back up your speculation? Because without him, that's all it is.
9: So let me tell you, here's how you grow up humanly. You move from dependence to independence, right? How many of you have kids under five years of age? How many of you have kids under five years of age? Hands up here across all the campuses. Okay, now, you know they're adorable. God makes them adorable. And through their elementary years, they're adorable. So adorable, you cannot imagine them ever leaving. (laughs) Then God makes them teenagers. So that you cannot imagine them ever staying. That's <laughs> a gift. Because you have them born highly dependent, but you want to move them to independence. That's how you grow up humanly. The reason many of us never really grow up spiritually, because we don't understand, it's the opposite. See, when you're born, you're born in sin, far from God. Separate. You are independent. You start here. And when you understand the truth and come to a relationship with God, you start moving from independence to what? Dependence. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. In John 15, if a man or woman will remain, depend, will remain in me, you will bear much fruit. You're going to have a really home run kind of life, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing that really lasts. Oh, this is a deep and wide conversation. What if God was growing Joseph up to help him first win dependence?
0: What so, if, what if, what if?
9: Breakthrough in Joseph's life. Win within. Win where? When within, Joseph was tempted. It was a major temptation. Now here's the storyline. Joseph had moved into Egypt. He was enslaved. He was bought by Potiphar. Now he's an owned slave. He'd been in his household for five to seven years. He was 22 to 25 years old. He'd risen up as a slave. Oh, how exciting is that? And he was over the household of Potiphar. And then in a moment of time, Potiphar's wife made an indecent proposal. Now it was incredibly tempting. He's 22 to 25 years old. He has no prospects of the future. And she makes a sexual offer. But he says to himself, I gotta decide who I'm gonna be. We all do.
0: Yeah, actually, he didn't say, I need to decide who I'm gonna be. Now, this is also significant. Joseph is similar to Jesus in this sense. Jesus, when he was tempted, did not sin. He was he remained innocent. Joseph, in a, in a similar way, he's tempted majorly, and he doesn't succumb to the temptation. This is another way in which you sit there and go, man, Joseph is a lot like Jesus, and this story should, in type and shadow, point you to Christ. But, well, Mr. Myers here, he's not pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to ourselves, and he's sticking stuff into the text, in, the, in the, his retelling of the story of Joseph, that isn't actually there.
9: See, he can't help that he's a slave on the outside, but he doesn't have to be a slave on the inside to his passions, appetites, or desires. Everybody gets tempted. Everybody's got to set their moral compass. So are you going to follow God's design? Or the world's?
0: Do you have any good news for those who've followed the world's design? Not the good news that, oh, you've got a better design for them to follow. How about forgiveness for their sins?
9: Joseph makes the right decision. And he runs away, and he doesn't engage. And for doing the right thing, he gets thrown into prison. Isn't that awesome? That is, that's a great story if it's not yours, right?
0: Yeah, like Jesus, Joseph was an innocent man who suffered the penalty for a crime he didn't commit.
9: I mean, literally, Potiphar's wife indicts him for the thing he did not do, say he tried to rape her, and Potiphar had him thrown in prison. Have you ever done the right thing, and instead
0: of win, you lost? (laughs) Yeah, now notice, who suffers for whose sin? Joseph suffers for Potiphar's wife's sin. The penalty that should have been hers becomes his. Another way in which Joseph really foreshadows Christ. Ah, but remember, God is
9: not done. There was a next major breakthrough. The breakthrough was to win with others. Say it with me, to win what? With others. Now, here we go. Joseph, and you got to play out the story. He's now the servant. He's a slave. Go with me on this. Okay, everybody? Go with me on this. He's the guy down here. He's he's cleaning the floors. He's a nobody. And important people are walking by. Because Potiphar is very high up in the military of Egypt. And maybe that's when it occurs to Joseph. (sighs) I used to be important.
0: Um, which part of Genesis 37 to 50 does it have this little internal monologue where Joseph says, you know, I used to be important? You added that to the text. It's not there.
9: I used to walk around my dad's place. Quite self-important. And there were people who were servants that I didn't even notice. I dismissed.
0: You know, as touching as this new monologue for Joseph is, it's not in the biblical text.
9: There are few things as redefining in life when God puts you in the place of people you once dismissed. Maybe that's where Joseph learned to value others. To what? Value others. Maybe that's where he realized. You know what? My brothers did the wrong thing, but maybe I antagonized it by just being so full of my own self-importance.
0: Uh huh. Again, where in the text are we led to believe this took place? There's no indicators at all, at all, in the Book of Genesis.
9: Between the ages of 21 and 26, I was part of a church as an associate pastor. And for those five years, it was the fastest growing church in our county. Major influence in our little denomination. And I started to feel self-important.
0: Yeah, notice we're getting another story from this guy's life.
9: I started to think subtly, you know, pastors who lead small churches, come on, put a little work in it. It'll grow. First year of 12 stones opening, 104 people. Fourth year, 82. I'm just that good. (laughs) About the time God whispers in my ear. Now let's talk about pastors who lead small churches again. What I didn't know is that if you don't value others, you'll use them. And maybe what God is doing in your life right now, because you're in places you don't want to be. Maybe you're working in places you don't want to work with, people you don't want to work with. Maybe things are strained in marriage and otherwise. Maybe you're running around looking for a church that's going to be all about you. And what God's really trying to do is help you value others.
0: Well, that's weird. This whole message is about you, not Jesus. Weird, huh? That's how he grows up.
9: We know Joseph broke through. You know how we know? Because Joseph, I got to fast forward, Joseph was 39 years old. So it had been 22 years, 17 years old that his brother sold him into slavery. 22 years later, he's 39 years old. Rushing ahead, he's already second in command of all of Egypt. He's running everything. It's in the midst of a great famine. And his brothers come to Egypt looking for food, and guess who they have to ask food from? It's this good Joseph. But they don't know it's Joseph. So they bow down to Joseph. He's standing there bowing, and he's like, Aha!
0: Yeah, again, another picture of Christ in the Old Testament.
9: And all he has to do is say the word, and they're executed. And what does he do? He executes mercy and forgiveness.
0: That's right. Mercy and forgiveness. Key elements regarding Christ. And, and keep in mind, at this point, he has been taken from death, figuratively speaking, and slavery, and sits at the right hand of Pharaoh, second in command. This should all sound very familiar. For anybody who has a good, proper understanding of Christology, Joseph foreshadows and typologically paints a huge, ginormous picture of Jesus.
9: And values people that did not value him. This is a changed man.
0: No, does not that he values people who didn't value him. He forgives the very people who sold him into slavery in the first place who sinned against him grievously. And he recognizes that God sent him to save Israel. That's what Jesus is sent to do. What Joseph represents in type and shadow, Jesus fulfills in reality. This story is about Christ.
9: The next major event kind of highlight is win results. Win what? Win results. Now, going back when he was 30 years old, he'd been in pits and prisons, 17 to 30, pits and prisons. That's all he'd experienced. And Pharaoh has a dream, a vision. It's from God. And of course, God's doing something pretty cool here. And nobody can interpret the vision. And they discover that there's this kid in prison named Joseph who can interpret. So Joseph is brought up. This is a great day for Joseph. And Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dream? And do you know what he says? No. If I were standing near him, I'd go, yes. The answer is yes. When you've been in the prison and you've been in pits and you get a shot at a promotion, the answer is yes, I can do this. What is wrong with you? All he can say is throw him back in prison. How bad can that be? Maybe he'll kill you. That would be better. Ah, but you know what Joseph said? I cannot do that. But if God wants me to, He'll give it to me. See, He had already won dependence. He understood that dependence on God has everything to do with where He is in His career.
0: So now we're we're looking at the you know the system that uh, Mister Myers has come up with here. Well, this proof that this is exactly what happened because Joseph's response shows that he made it past first base. <sighs> Yet, everything I pointed out is is he's added stuff to the biblical text that ain't there at all. He thinks he's cracked the code of Joseph, and it's about principles that you're supposed to apply to your life when the story of Joseph, according to Jesus, since the scriptures are about him, the story of Joseph is about Jesus. This is deep and wide teaching. No, it's not. It's shallow and self-serving. Learned.
9: Rarely learned. God gave him the interpretation. Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. And then, more than giving the problem, Joseph offers a solution. So Pharaoh should appoint a man to oversee the seven years of feast and put some back. So that in the seven years of famine, Egypt survives. Pharaoh looks around and says, I don't see anybody smarter than you. It is you. And he puts him In charge of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. I'm telling you, that's a really good day of promotion
0: when you go from. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like Jesus who sits at the right hand of God the Father. You know what I'm saying? Prison to the palace, huh? That's a a good day. Only God
9: can make that happen. And you would say, oh my goodness, how awesome. He now has won results. He's got success. This is the best part of the story. No, it's not. Best part of the story is when his success becomes significant. When Joseph finally realizes and says to his family, what you did was for evil, but God turned it for good.
0: You mean kind of like Jesus' crucifixion, where the only innocent human being who ever walked the earth, the only one who was sinless, truly in the sense of sinless, who didn't deserve to die at all, we... And that's me and you and everybody else said, crucify him. And what we meant for evil, God turned for good in winning our salvation by Christ's vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. Joseph, in a sense, was killed by his brothers he was raised again from the dead and all the evil that he suffered he suffered for them in order to save them all of their sins were forgiven and god was working in joseph to save israel you see that's what the story is about saving of many lives
9: And Joseph single-handedly rescued from famine. His father, all his brothers and family, and Israel survived, becoming a great nation through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, eventually came. Now, how good is that story? And it begs the question, the third of four questions
0: that will transform your life, What is the pattern? What is the what? Oh, so he thinks he's figured out the pattern. See, if you can just figure out the pattern and apply it to your life the way Joseph did, well, you can have success, someone, uh, significance, and whatever. Uh Uh-huh. What is the pattern? What is God's game plan for life and leadership?
9: At the time... My firstborn son Joshua was eleven years old,
0: and now we're getting another story about his life. And I was—I'll um, just confess—I
9: I was undone by my inability to disciple him. I—I'm a pastor. And I didn't know how to disciple my own son. Now, just keep listening. I've I've been to Bible college. I came to Christ when I was nine years old. I've been to Bible college. I've got a ministry degree from a a liberal arts university. I've been to seminary stuff. I've been pastoring full time. I understand the Bible, but it's so complex in my brain. I don't even know how to transfer it to an 11-year-old. I don't know how to tell him how God wants to grow him up. I don't know how to make it easy, simple, accessible, transferable, and meaningful. I don't know how to give it to him at 11 years old. So that it will stay with him into his adult life and be
0: meaningful forever. It was all you have to do is tell him about Jesus and what Jesus has done for him.
9: So complex in my head, I couldn't get it out of my heart into his. I'm like, how does anybody do this?
0: That's because you think it's all about rules that you follow in your obedience rather than Christ's. Look at all
9: the material; seem lame. Like, I don't know how to do this. Just so you know. This home run life material was birthed out of the heart of a father to help his son win in life. What I'm giving you today is the adult version of it. But what I'm going to give Easter and the few weeks that follow is what I gave my son at 11 and all of my kids since. It is the parenting side, raising home run kids. That's the series you really want. But we're in this one now. (laughs) And what broke through was this pattern. Baseball. Something simple enough that a kid can understand it and play it, but complex enough that it can move with you into your adult life and pro athletes in a billion-dollar industry can barely master it. It's that complex. And it all hinged on the word pattern. On the word what? So, here across all the campuses, grab your Bibles. Uh, For some of you, it's right underneath your seat. For others, it's in front of you. Uh, Maybe you picked it up on the way into the campus. Everybody grab a Bible. We're going to turn over to the New Testament, the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12. This was a keystone verse that God had been kind of sinking into my soul at the time of putting this together. And on page 1137, page 1000.
0: See, now he's going to miss the whole pattern of Joseph because where are we at again? Romans 12. I don't know what it is with these seeker-driven guys. It's as if Romans chapters, 1 through 11 don't exist. 137,
9: 1137, on the right-hand side column, chapter 12 of the book of Romans. Everybody grab Bible, get there, and let's look at this together. Therefore, which means in light of the first 11 chapters of great theology and insight, the foundations of what God did for us and bringing us... Yeah, why don't you preach that? ...through Jesus. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as
0: living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of what? In view of God's mercy. Great teaching. Verse 2. Do not, here, do not what?
9: Conform. Do not conform to the, there's the word, what is it? Pattern. Everybody say it again across all the campuses. To the what? Don't conform to the pattern of this world. The world has a pattern.
0: Yeah, and you only understand what Christ's pattern is in view of God's mercy. God has a pattern. But be
9: transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change how you think. Let it be renewed.
0: This will transform you. Then you will be able, look, then you will be able to test and... Notice, he's trying to find the thing that he's got to do so that he can have the home run life. Yet the passage he's quoting says, in view of God's mercy, approve what God's will is,
9: his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's a pattern. What if something as simple as baseball can be leveraged as a pattern to understand how God grows us
0: up? Four bases what if something as simple as Parcheesi, you know, what if something as simple as bowling, you know, what if, what if, what if, why don't you engage in sound biblical exegesis rather than this stuff?
9: By the way, there are only four elements in everybody's life dream. It's the same for a believer, unbeliever, all trying to win
0: the same things. So the pattern I'm supposed to apply in order to achieve and have my life dream, that's what Christianity has to offer Really?
9: And when you play baseball as a kid, there's four bases. And when you play in college, there are four. And when you play in the major leagues, there's four. It's not like there's six or seven in major leagues. It's the same bases. They just get more complex to get around. In fact, there are things that we know about baseball. You score only when you cross what? Home plate. Go with me on this. And when, and when you leave home plate and come back to home plate, you have to cover all three bases, which are first, second, And third, and if you skip a base, you're called what? And baseball is full of strikeouts, but fresh starts. And what do they call it when you run to the wrong base? Little league. (laughs) It's the only time it's funny. When a four-year-old hits the ball and runs to third base, it's hilarious. Everybody laughs. If a major league player does that, it's not funny. It just shows he doesn't know what he's doing. He's thrown out. So,
0: what if there really is a pattern... What if? What if there's a hidden baseball pattern in the Bible? What if? How would we have discovered this before the time of baseball? Game plan to the way God grows us up. Put this
9: down in your notes. What if it all begins at home plate? Home plate is all about connect. Say it with me. Home plate is about what? Put that in your notes. It's about connect. And literally meaning this
0: connect with your creator, connect with God, get on God's purpose by God's power. God put you. Get on God's purpose. Yep, I told you I smelled Rick Warren. Uh-huh. On purpose, God will give you power to accomplish why he put you here. So connect with him. So quick, find your connect with God so you can find your purpose. Where does the Bible teach this?
9: And God's going to grow you through dependence. Because just like baseball, everything starts and ends at home plate. And the batter knows when he gets to home plate, my purpose is to get around the bases. I need power at the plate to pull it off. And by the way, I I know many of you listening across the campuses. Many of you are spiritually unresolved. You're not even sure you believe in God. You're not sure you buy any of this. This is still your issue.
0: Yeah, I believe in Christ and I'm not buying any of it because I saw how you came up with it and it's not based on sound biblical exegesis of what any passage actually says in context. You have to connect with how you got here, why
9: you're here, and where you're going. Everybody does. And God in his love for you is inviting you to connect with him. He created you. He loves you. With great mercy, he opened a door for you to be restored to him through Jesus. Because when you connect with your creator.
0: Yeah, that was almost a gospel nugget, but it wasn't. To your purpose, you get his power.
9: Life begins to make sense because life cannot start with you. And it does not end with you. You're not the center. Home plate, connect. And it leads to first base. First base is character. Say it with me. First base is what? Character. It's it's the personal base. It's where you win within. Now watch this. Many people, when they become new Christian, followers of Jesus
0: Christ, it's where you win within. Notice the pronouns. That makes all the difference in the world
2: excited about
9: been forgive my sin, and it is awesome. I have the hope of eternal life god 's in me, I got a new life, yes, you do, new creation, absolutely, and then we begin to pray, oh God, oh God, change everything around me. see because now you 're praying you 're like i 'm looking at what 's wrong with my life, and, and most of the problems are around me, so oh dear God, change things around me. If you would change my job, that would be awesome, and if you would change my income. I need more. And if you would change my boss, need less of them. And if you would change my spouse, oh, I had no idea the baggage when I married them. And would you change my kids? They got a lot of my spouse in them. I, I, did, I didn't know. And God, would you change my house and change my stuff? And, change, and we get all wrapped up in thinking that prayer is all about God demonstrating his power to change everything around us when the very first thing the power of God wants to do is change everything where? Within us. Because God wants to restore the character that's crashing because it's costing you the home run life.
0: Oh, so God wants to restore character because it's costing you a home run life. That's the whole point of why Christ died is so I can have a home run life. I thought it was eternal life.
9: Second base. Is community. Second base is what?
0: Home plate connect. Yeah, whenever a seeker-driven guy talks about community, um, yeah, I start getting uh, really squirrely. And if you want to know why and you haven't heard my lecture, resistance is futile. Be, you'll be assimilated by the community. Visit my website, fightingforthefaith.com. Search for it in the archives. I, I delivered that lecture May 11th of, uh, what, 2012? Yeah, worth the listen. Base character second base community say it with me home plate connect
9: first base character second base community look at it like this what is the first and greatest command jesus said to love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and to love that's home plate and to love your neighbor second base why
0: would home plate be love the lord your god with all your heart um, wouldn't it be repentance and the forgiveness of sins? You turned home plate, the place where we connect with God about us being obedient to the law rather than the good news that Christ died for our sins. That is definitely putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable and confusing law and gospel. Self first
9: base. In other words, love God, love yourself, love others. It's that simple. It's that profound
0: third base. Yeah, no, there's nothing simple about keeping the law. Love God, love neighbor. You think it's simple? You should really try it and pay attention to the details. Is competence. Say it with me. Third base is what? That is the performance base. It's where you win results. And this matters greatly. But Yeah, this is an all law sermon. It's the performance base. It's where you win results score when you get to third
9: base? Do they give you a run ad in baseball when you get to third base? No. No more than in life is success at the end all. You have to bring it home to your God-created significance, connect it to your God-designed purpose. Now watch this. If this is the way that God designed for us to grow up and have a home-run life,
0: and there... Uh, Why would I believe that? There's no passage in the Bible that says it.
9: Pattern to it and the order matters, then the question is how does the world run the basis? Because if the world is the thing we should not conform to, what is the pattern of the world?
0: Ah, so, Romans 12 about not being conformed to the pattern of the world is you, you got to pay attention to how they run the basis and not do it that way. You need to run it the right way. Uh-huh.
9: The world runs the basis backwards. We live in a performance-driven culture that what matters most
0: is what you do. What and you the do. irony is is that what he laid out is purely performance-based. You win it, not Christ. Chief,
9: it is all about career, money, and the like. We are under such pressure to perform in this world that we will tend to cheat under pressure all the other basis. We cheat our relationship with our marriage and our family and don't quite have the time to invest because we're all about performance and getting success. We cheat our character to get ahead. We don't have time for God. We cheat God in this time. We don't have time for worship on every seven days. Come on. I got a life to live. I got stuff to do. Time in Bible study and prayer. You're describing sin. What's that connect with God kind of soft, ridiculous stuff? I don't need that in my life. And we cheat all this. And what if, just what if,
0: what if? What if, what if, what if? Every time I hear a secret driven guy saying, what if, what if, I want to run out of the building screaming. Running the bases backwards and cheating the
9: other bases is the very thing that is costing us the home run life.
0: Oh, man, man. what if going backwards is cheating us from the home-run life? Again, where in the Bible does it actually teach that the goal that we should be achieving and seeking after and striving for is a home-run life? Hmm? Yeah, you still haven't actually demonstrated that from the Bible. That is what Louis Ramos discovered. Here's the
9: rest of his story.
0: And now we get a sappy music testimonial to prove that all of this is true because look at, you know, Mr. Ramos has experienced life change by learning how to run the bases the other way.
4: So he started talking about the trade offs that we make. The fact that in a performance driven culture, we are driven to run to third base, but that very often what that results in is sacrificing relationships on second base and integrity on first base. And it just hit me. It hit me like like a ton of bricks.
0: Yeah, w- what hit you? You realize what a sinner you were in need of a Savior, and you were crushed by your own wretched sinfulness and inability to have any righteousness of your own, and so you got on your knees and pled for Christ to have mercy on you and forgive you based on what he did for you on the cross? Is, is that what you're talking
4: about? I thought to myself, this is my life. I'm destroying my relationships with my wife and my children, and it's costing me, and it's costing my kids, and this is going to have repercussions on the rest of our lives.
0: I thought, yeah, you're guilty of sinning against God. It's going
4: to have eternal repercussions. Were you aware of that? I'm looking for this reboot. I've been looking for this fresh start. The reality is, is that God is offering me a fresh start. To do something with the life that he gave me, with the family that he gave me, with the white... Uh, he's
0: giving you a fresh start. You mean by dying on the cross for your sins, wiping the slate clean, clothing you in uh, white robes of, of righteousness, things like that? No. No, it's a fresh start to actually... For him to get it right this time and run the bases the other way.
4: ...gave me from my youth. And I'm a fool if I think that starting over somebody else is going to turn into anything better. Because the person breaking this is me. I rededicated my life to the Lord and I talked to my wife and I let her know and she was very skeptical to say the least by God's mercy she prayed hard about it and what she heard from the Lord was you don't have permission to get out so she took me back PK remarried us in the spring of 2001 with all of our children and uh, and our closest friends that running of the bases in a different pattern started a domino effect that didn't just transform my... Ma-
0: Not repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's you running the bases in a different direction is what saved you.
4: And and my children and, and our family, it transformed everything. It transformed my career. It transformed my business. You know, it transformed everything about me.
9: So be transformed. Yeah, it's a great story. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you see the world and the way you live. And we live in a backwards, base-running world. In fact, we've become convinced, if you think about it,
0: we live in a world that... I thought we lived in a world where nobody seeks God, all of sin, and fall short of the glory of God. I had no idea that the problem with the world is that they're running the bases backwards. Our whole life backwards. Think about it. We spend our 20s, 30s,
9: maybe into our 40s chasing success. So much so that it's like us to burn one, two, or three marriages and estrange some kids. But by the time we get into our 40s to 50s, it's fascinating how many enter into marriage they take seriously. And they start saying, you know what? People matter. They want to restore estranged relationships with their kids. Watch what goes on in our culture. 60s, 70s, you start hearing talk about, you know what, who you are on the inside really matters. Character counts. They start trying to pour it into their grandkids. 60s, 70s, hit 80s into mortality. And people start talking about maybe there is a God. And we live like backwards and forfeit the home run life God
0: has. It was our own. Forfeit the home run life that God has. You, you are aware that the people who are sinning against God and go to their grave impenitent, not trusting Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they haven't just forfeited the quote unquote home run life as, as you've set it up which is dubious, they're forfeiting eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and the free gift given to, you know, offered to us in Christ. Home run life. That's the least of our worries. Atlanta-based Ted Turner, mogul of CNN,
9: who this past November turned 75 years old and in a public interview revealed some interesting things. Ted, the outspoken agnostic, who had formerly described Christianity as a religion for losers, recently reaffirmed his openness to the faith. He no longer considers himself an atheist and prays for sick families.
0: Has he been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins? Because being a theist is not the same thing as being a Christian.
9: Closes. Well, I sure don't want to go to hell. It's a great discovery to eventually come to God. It's a better life to start with God. And it begs the question, how do you run the bases? It's the fourth question that can transform your life.
0: How? Yeah, Christianity is not about base running.
9: Do you run the bases? Or more importantly now, how will
0: you run the bases of life? And that's the end of the sermon. Take a story that actually foreshadows Christ, make it about you, find a hidden pattern in it, and then throw the challenge questions out as if he's discovered the real secret behind what's going on in the Bible. Yet all he's done is throw out a bunch of what-ifs, he's added stuff to Scripture that isn't there, and to leave off, we get to leave with the law rather than the forgiveness of sins that's what happens when you read yourself into the biblical text rather than see Christ in the biblical text because that's who the Bible is about who he is and what he's done for us and all of that is completely lost it's just a side note, it's a footnote in the sermon but never the main point in a seeker driven law based sermon and that's what we just heard so what'd you think? Mm. Love to get your feedback. If you like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all your sins. Amen.